0: My name is John and I'm at Paint School on Instagram. I've done over $15 million in paint jobs and I'm based out of Huntington Beach, California. Aaron is at Alpha Painting on Instagram. He's managed huge commercial projects with impossible timelines, and now is a few years into building his own operation out of Branson, Missouri.
1: And you should probably check out our full process videos on YouTube because they're
0: pretty badass. Our point in doing this podcast is to put our 40 plus years of combined experience to the test. We've seen a decline in the industry, Well, i think it's a bit arrogant i think we can change it we're giving it a shot listen up and let us know what you think this is paint sniffer podcast all right so these questions are coming from the winners of the little contest we had for the the graco guns uh the one that got voted on first place was from at tim underscore seton underscore painting second place was at McGuire painting. Um, all right. So from Tim Seaton, what are some of your biggest horror story, loser jobs? what did you take away from it? And what are some of your uh, favorite insanely profitable jobs? Um, we'll go with those first and then uh, if we have time. We'll go to what makes a high quality company. Cause that could probably be an episode all on its own. Yeah. So for me, I've got, um, Horror story, loser jobs. I got quite a few actually, (laughs) unfortunately, Uh, but I learned a lot of lessons from them. Uh, One big one that really stands out to me, and I think I've talked to you a little bit about this. Uh, We had a big commercial project and um, it's all exterior, three-story building. We had two boom lifts out there. I had whole plan set up, um, you know, to be able to kind of move through this pretty quickly. And, you know, it's a parking lot full of cars. We had to kind of orchestrate where traffic goes on which days and all that. Um, so during our sampling phase in the beginning, we, we had, uh, my Dun Edwards sales rep came out, um, uh, rust rep came out and they all put together a spec for the, for the finish on this place. And their spec was like, you know, soup to nuts, like, um, how to clean it properly. Um, dry time for primers, which primers to use, dry time for finishes in between coats, how to prep in between coats, the whole deal. Uh, It's not, this building was like smooth metal panels, you know, so it's like um, the panels were three feet by 15 feet. And so if you're standing on the ground, you could spray a whole panel out, no problem, you know, without having to stop in the middle of it. But on a boom lift, we had to either use a six foot pole to be able to get all the way through. And even that was tight. You know, you're spraying off on the far left side and off on the far right side. So you couldn't get like a nice even finish all the way through. So we ended up during our testing phase getting uh, overlap marks on panels and um, the sheen was showing differently. You know, so the first product we used on it for the spec was the deft coating. It was a two-part acrylic urethane. So we had a two-part epoxy primer from Rust-Oleum. I think it's SC9100, I think was the product. Um, So two-part epoxy primer. And then uh, the two-part deft 36 series finish. Um, And that shit's like 130 bucks a gallon. You know, so it was expensive. Um, We did, we had one side of the building where there was a vacant lot um, on the side. So that was the obvious like first run. You know, we did, we had like, maybe 200 feet um, of run that we can do all from that dirt side. So it didn't affect any cars. We didn't have to go through the grass area, anything like that. Um, So the material on that one side of the building was like seven grand and we get the whole thing knocked out. So this is like, um, you know, they have strips of glass in between the panels. So masking, you're just basically masking off rectangular glass all the way through, there's metal panels below metal panels above the glass, another glass section and another metal section. Um, so the masking was pretty easy, pretty straightforward, uh, from the booms. And so we get this whole side sprayed and we're getting flashing spots on the overlap marks and we're getting a haziness, like in round areas in the middle of panels. So we had the deft rep out. It's like, just let it dry. It'll dry out fine. You know, give it a couple days. So i'm checking on this thing like every day you know i'm like driving over there checking it seeing if it's dried nice or not um you know this is a big project it's like a nine thousand dollar uh ninety thousand dollar project it's probably the biggest one i did at the time um and so you know it comes out again three days later it's like oh let's give it a week you know and the whole time i've got fucking two booms on the job so i'm paying like 125 bucks a day have them just sit there in the dirt field, you know? So these booms are just sitting there the whole time. Every day I'm like, dude, we gotta like, get this thing figured out, you know? So a week goes by, um, none of it's, you know, it got a little better, maybe 10% better, but still no way I could pass it on this. Um, and so Don Edwards rep and they, the building had a maintenance engineer. So that guy was meeting us out there too. Um, and so we all had a meeting and the decision was to go to a different product. You know, it's like, I, I don't think this is going to work. We can't get, uh, uh, good finishes corner to corner. And we had done like, we masked off panels next to it. So we could just spray one panel at a time all the way through to try to keep a nice wet edge. Uh, but we're still getting the hazing in the middle of it. So we ended up switching products. We went to this water-based finish, still doing the two part epoxy primer. Um, And all this shit had to be like wiped down with acetone before we put it on. Once we put the two part epoxy primer on, um, it had to be finished within, uh, I think it was two days. If we went to the third day, we'd have to reprime it because then our paint won't stick to the primer anymore. So switched to a new product um, and that one worked. So we did the whole side, got the whole side all knocked out. Once we got the product working, then it was like two weeks, three weeks and we were done. You know we're out of there as a piece of cake um so but i spent um boy maybe three weeks uh testing products i spent two weeks trying to get the first product to work Um, so three weeks to get our process nailed down we have a product that looks good enough Uh, so that whole time those booms are sitting there and just racking up money and it was like as soon as as soon as we have a system that works, it's go time. You know, so I couldn't just pull the booms off because I was thinking like any day, like today could be the day, tomorrow could be the day. So we had those booms sitting there for like three weeks, not any work being done, just testing. Um, and then on one side of the building, um, there was a street side, and then on the opposite side was a parking lot. So, you know, so fifty cars in there or whatever. Um, when we were doing the epoxy primer. On the street side, that shit was flying over the building and landing on cars on the other side. Uh, so we ended up having to detail um, about $3,500 worth of cars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare. So on that project, the, all the testing and everything I was doing by myself, you know, I wasn't having my guys do it. And so I would be there, like, you know, I'd work whatever job we're working on. And then i go there at like three o'clock and test until like 7 PM, you know, just testing. Like, let me try a different sprayer. Let me try a shorter line. Let me try a longer line extension pole, no extension pole, all kinds of different ways to try to make the first product work. Um, and then finally we got through it and I, I don't think I technically lost any money. Uh, but I didn't make shit on that job. And and I should have yeah. made like 30 grand, you know, Fucking
1: terrible. Yeah. My uh I, I haven't had much experience with wiping out vehicles, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um that's good. I've always been super careful, you know. The the weather always changes here so much, like you're having to watch, you know, humidity. Uh you can't ever trust what the weather says, so you're always having to watch a Doppler radar and with all the lakes we have around us, you gotta kinda oh, guesstimate yeah. You know exactly how you're going to react to shit so you're always paying attention to like wind direction and temperature moisture all that stuff so um my uh my intro into the last commercial company i ran logistics for was uh doing a night shift nobody else would do it we were traveling painting exteriors of walmart's in the winter so i don't know if you're Uh, my boss had this, this, so I first started like, um, you know, helping them kind of reorganize the logistics on like 40 houses they were doing. I did that. And then I jumped into, he was having a problem with another painter that was, um, having a problem problem with, uh, an exterior oil-based complex. Um, so he sent me there to figure out what the problem was. His product was congealing and, uh, I think he was power rolling at the time, but so I went there and, you know, this guy's like, you know, just another one of those fucking painters that, that thinks, you know, they know what they're doing and stuff. And I show up and he knows that I'm, you know, something weird's going on and I, you know, boss had kind of just told him, well, he's here to, you know, get it all figured out and stuff. So I'm like talking with the dude, I have him show me his whole process and what are you doing for starters, he was backing the pump in, uh, in MEK and I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, that's going to corrode your, your packings and stuff. Like, are you contaminating the product with MEK? Is that why you're congealing? And I'm like, what are you reducing it with? And he's like, he, he goes, naphtha. I'm like, okay, well, so does this product reduce with naphtha? You know, I pull yeah. all the specs on the product. I read up on it. I'm like, dude, you're missing a label on it. Are you sure this is naphtha? And I, I look it up and um, I pull all the sales records um, from all the, the purchases for that job. And um, he had a five gallon bucket of VM and P naphtha and the product reduced with a uh, high flash aromatic naphtha. So that ended up being what can, you know, was causing the congealing issues. And I took all that info to the boss and he got pissed and fired that dude. And, <laughs> you know, he's like, well, you're going to. You know you're going to go ahead and uh, do this job, and it was going into winter. So, the thing with that product was had a low temp of 19 degrees. Um, so, I mean, we I was literally there, like I had myself and a ground man, and uh, I was towing, you know, towing behind. I, I'd get our setup in the back of the truck, running a gas pump and 200 foot of hose and I would drive the truck around the building to spray the building. And I had like a, uh, you know, those road, road lights and shit, yeah. gas powered road lights. I'd have those just towed behind the truck and my grand man would position the lights while I was spraying and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, we push that product every bit, dude, you know, 17, 19 degrees on, on a fucking night shift doing the outside of Walmart's and shit as a fucking Jeez. nightmare. But, um, then we from there, his other, you know, he, his lead guy was doing a Walmart in Oklahoma. And come to find out they were going to get fired. So, um, they had like a, you know, a drop dead date. So I'm like, once I had all that shit complete, I had to, um, finish up a job that I was on in my area. And then I had to drive, you know, an hour to Springfield to you know do punch on another job back to where i live back to springfield to load up and then back and then i had to drive to um oklahoma uh paint the whole front of a fucking walmart to save his lead guy's ass color breaks and all you know by myself and then back back to springfield to unload and then back home and it ended up being like a fifth day for me (laughs) and yeah it was fucking insane I was drinking, like, monsters and shit, dude, and I, was, I broke out, you know, I drank, drank so many monsters, I broke out in a rash and shit, but, <laughs> but in terms of, like, like, you know, dude, I could go on forever, like, what, what do you consider losing, like, falling four stories, you know, and fucking destroying your body, or, or running a fucking, um, just a large commercial project that doesn't come out well, or, you know, losing a thousand bucks on a residential job. I mean, um,
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think on these, like the, so for me, I mostly do residential. I do some commercial, but it's maybe like, I don't know, 10, 10 to 20% of my business. Um, so like I have, I have had plenty of jobs where it would have been better if we just stayed home. You know, it's like, I gotta come out of pocket, even on, on little yeah. jobs. It's like that little job cost me 400 bucks, you know, when all of a sudden done, when I crunched the numbers, it's like, I paid $400 to paint that person's whatever interior, you know, it's like, fuck dude, that not only did I not make money, but I had to come out of my pocket to do their job. Like that's happened a lot to me. Um, we had a project that was all interior. It's like one of these old houses in long beach. You know, that's probably the, the older homes that we have around here. And it was all smooth walls everywhere. Well, mostly smooth walls, um, but they wanted to skim coat everything. Um, and so it was like a $25,000 job. You know, it's good size, not a big house, um, but, you know, three or four bedrooms, something like that, all small rooms, but still three or four rooms where you're doing ceiling walls, um, you didn't do any closets. And then they're also living there so they're living in there and they have uh two small kids and we had to be like uh quiet around nap time for the kids and then we had to be out of the kids rooms every day you know so we're going in there and like masking off early um, they would allow us to work through nap time in the kids rooms but we had to be quiet And then we had to be out of there at the end of the day, cleaned up and out of there, you know? So every day that we're working in those rooms, we're masking off in the morning, we're working, we're cleaning up, pulling off back in the next day. And so we were trying to rush some of the stuff, you know, trying to get in and out of some of those rooms. Um, these people were very particular. And so if we had a little Nick or anything like that, it's like patch it again, you know, and we just ate up so many extra hours doing all that stuff, going back and forth, masking, unmasking so much more than I anticipated. And that job, um, it's a while back, but it was probably, I don't know, like three or $4,000 loss, you know, just, I just understood yeah. it. You know, I didn't think all the way through all the, the ways that that thing could go wrong. Um, and with skim coat work, like, I have one guy that's really good at it. Everybody else is like adequate, but adequate adds on like five times the amount of time. You know, like if you're doing like trying to get level five finish, if you're not really good at it and really know exactly what you're doing, that shit takes forever.
1: Yeah. So I've uh, well, like when I was younger, when I first started running like you know getting responsibilities in terms of running lead and stuff like that um i worked for worked for a you know a large commercial company like commercial like if you looked up some of the projects um in the area i'm in you know like Aspen Trendwest Holiday Hills Bass Pro Big Cedar uh, the Meadows Mount Vista they're like all huge like megalithic timeshare projects and stuff like multiple year projects
0: is this all um, for one one company that you're working for? Or is this different
1: companies? Pre, prime, Well, no, not necessarily. Like probably three, three different companies. Um, when I first started, it was primarily two to three competing companies that did all that work. And then now it's just, you know, they don't build as much as they used to. You know what I mean? So it, every once in a while, you'll see something that goes up. But it's primarily like you know, a couple houses here, there kind of shit. So they don't, there was like a mass, a mass building like in the nineties and in early two thousands. But, um, so when I, when I took lead on, you know, this was like my first, my first job. And like we, you know, we always, you know, sometimes we would get like, Hey, you're going to go do this condo. It's just you and one guy. And we've got like 30 fucking units, you know what I mean? And, that was just kind of how it rolled. But when I, when I did uh, um, like my first actual job, like running, you know, a bunch of guys, uh, we had this uh, big cedar building. We had about, I think on average, it was about 30 guys. And I didn't, I didn't look at numbers then, you know what I mean? I wasn't, uh, I didn't care about shit like that. I just trained guys and stuff. We we did that building and I think it was like 13 months is a, big five, five story building, you know, whatever Um, the boss had said something about how, you know, he lost on that job or whatever. And he'd had a long standing relationship with that builder. So I'm sure whatever the builder, you know, helped him take care of it or whatever. But on the second one, we fucking fired everybody and went in with like seven or eight guys on average and we got it done in like seven or eight months, you know. And that's a huge. I mean, if you want to look at, you know, numbers like strong out on like a mass yeah. scale and like on a production scale where you get to repeat your process and you can kind of dial shit in, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's of note. You know, I have no idea the numbers, but
0: yeah. And a lot of those projects, like, um, so for us, if we're doing any, any commercial work where it's going to, we're going to be there for a while, our first few days or maybe our first week is almost like, feeling out what our process is going to be, trying a couple of things differently. Um, And then once we have a system, it's just like go time. If you're on a project for a year, I mean, is that similar? Is that how you would, what would happen on a job like that? In the beginning, much slower, just figuring it out?
1: No, I well, the thing that people have to understand about process is everybody's going to have a different process. So like if you're to be, like resilient and and like versatile as a painter you need to know everybody's process you know what I mean you need to know multiple processes because it's not every job that you're going to you know one of the worst things you can do is is learn something and think you you know you have something figured out and always try to apply that same process to everything like you can't stick a square peg and a round hole kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I think
0: a lot of guys do that though. A lot of guys think they can, you know, my process is the best, you know, and I'm not trying any other ways cause I already know it's the best rather than adapting, rather than learning and picking pieces from other people's processes.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest assets is having done shit so many different ways that when you you go to a job and, and whatever, like your, your mind's spinning and you're not like, Hey, let's experiment on this and let's see how this works. And I wonder if that's going to work. Like your mind already, you know, you're already figuring all that shit out. You're going to, you know, like we've discussed this before, like there's three ways to do things, but mm-hmm. you can pull things from that to do, you know, things a hundred different ways. Yeah, Like you already have it figured out and you're just taking things out, putting things in and, you know, erecting the process like on the fly. Um, so, I mean, if you have, if you have a tool set and you've done things multiple different ways, then you can, you know, you don't have to sit there and troubleshoot, like it's already there, you know. And that's
0: a lot of, a lot of like pre-planning, right? I mean, you can go through a lot of different scenarios just in your head. You know, when you have a project coming up, it's like, You know what if i do ceilings first what if i do walls first what if i do trim first you know you kind of map all that out and see where like the problems are going to happen or where they're most likely going to hold you up you know a lot of my guys that work for me don't do that well and so they'll leave drywall patches for the last day and i'm like what the fuck like this should have been done on like any day but the last day you know like even yesterday all this shit should have been done like you know it's not going to dry fast enough to, to finish it the same day uh, but they're not thinking through that process. So I, those are the things I have to keep an eye on personally, you know, for my projects. I know, like, which things need to get done by a certain day in order to finish by Friday.
1: Yeah, I'm on a, a, a new project right now. Like, I've been on it for months. I'm, you know, it's an example of, I guess, not necessarily having a process. So when I first when I first bid this job, it was... You know, I was given numbers, you know, we originally, uh, were out there because I got a phone call from a lady that, um, you know, they had all new cedar, um, installed around their house. It's kind of like a rebuild, you know, it's like a demo and a rebuild this builders from Arkansas. He's super country and shit and they take fucking forever. Like you see him sitting in their lawn chairs more than you do anything yeah. else, you know? <laughs> yeah. And dude, it, it fucking, we went out there Uh, I did a, you know, uh, muriatic acid or not muriatic, uh, oxalic acid wash and, you know, bleaching of all the exterior wood. And it was a big, you know, wood package for how small of a house it was. It must've cost a fortune at the time, but, uh, we did structures on it all and, uh, you know, fuck, I was in and out in like three days, you know, it was like fucking 40 gallons of stain or whatever it was. And, uh. Boom, you know, like, hey, you know, they originally they're like, you know, we'd like you to paint the inside of the house. I'm like, okay, you know, we usually don't drive this far away, but, you know, uh, I guess I'll give, you know, I can give you a price on it. And I wasn't too serious about it because it was weird that this builder didn't have a painter, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I gave him a price, you know, I I talked to the builder a little bit too to kind of get an idea of what his painter's pricing was. And, uh, you know, dude, in my opinion, the area that I live in, there's not really, there's not really any like upper echelon companies in terms of quality, you know? So I don't, you know, I've never impressed when I walk into like a multimillion dollar home and you look around and it's like, dude, yeah, like why, why do these people put so much work into this shit and then just get the shittiest painters in there, dude? It makes no sense. Man,
0: that's general contractors all over here. Like I'm in a high dollar area and... You know, any of these new homes like in Newport, if they're doing full remodel or tear down, you know, building spec homes, these things are like two and a half million plus, you know. And anytime I do bids on these, like I have a, uh, a friend of mine um, is um, a builder or it's like his family's company, you know, he's taking it over. Um, but they're always trying to pinch pennies on painting. You know, it's like you're going to fucking put all this money into building this thing. You're going to sell it for $2.5 million and you want to have this price be 35000 instead of 40000 for the paint job. You know, it's like, what? The, why the fuck would you do that? It's crazy.
1: Yeah. So yeah, this, this house that we're on now, um, it was originally supposed to be just, you know, drywall and a flat trim package. I would have went out there, you know, if once the drywall was ready and fucking, you know, spent half a day getting the walls primed and the ceilings finished and then maybe put fans in it and took lunch and came back and rolled the first coat on the, on the walls. You know what I mean? And then left and came back a month later when they had a trim package ready for me. So that was my original plan and I priced it to that. So you fast forward like six, eight months later, I'm like, dude, when is this fucking house going to be ready? You know, So I I gave the homeowner a courtesy call and she said, yeah, we've changed some things and yada, yada. Dude, this entire house is fucking wood now. Like every (laughs) square fucking inch of it. And it's not, there's nothing that's pre-primed other than this shitty pre-primed trim package that we got. Like, I don't know. Like, it seems like the quality of wood is getting worse as well in terms of whatever factory coatings. They're using like the primer that's on this wood is like fucking, I don't know, like, I can't say quarter inch, but it's like an eighth of an inch thick or sixteenths of an inch thick. And like you run a vacuum into it and it'll pop a piece of primer off of it or something, you know, it's just shit. So anyway, I, I looked at this and, you know, with, you know, like I said, you have to be able to do things multiple different ways in order to run shit in your head and know what's going to work best. Right. And there was just no fucking way to approach this. Yeah. There was no way I could approach this job. If I did this first, then I'd have to mask this. If I did that first, then I'd have to mask that. And it was, nothing would fucking work. Um, So I, I just, I just had to fucking just go. So,
0: Is this that project um, you did the fine paints you're up on?
1: Yeah, on the cabinets.
0: Yeah. So this yeah. one um, fits into a loser job, right? <laughs> oh one, yeah, okay. dude. It's
1: a huge, <laughs> I, if, uh. You know, I, I don't run numbers like you do to where you have analytics for everything. So I'm like, you know, I turn jobs over and, you know, I, I look at, you know, what I have at the end. I'm like, okay, well I did all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't look at every little fucking detail because I'm just not, I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? Um, I probably need to, you know, start analyzing everything a little bit better, but Fuck, I'm so busy with just out there constantly bidding and writing estimates in the evenings and in the field in the daytime. And like, yeah. you know, I don't have time to sit down and create a, a business system for, you know, finding out if I lost, you know, a hundred bucks or, you know what I mean? Like and that's
0: tough to do. Like, so that was the same for me. I mean, I spent um, probably like 12 or 13 years not paying close attention to the numbers. You know, it was only when I brought somebody in and I, I still didn't do it myself, but I brought someone into the company that put together a whole a tech system um, and then he started tracking all that stuff and then basically just give me reports on it. Um, but that's also the time when I saw how valuable it was for me, you know? And I think if you're running a small company, it's not so important because there aren't that many moving parts, you know, like you... It's important if you want to scale up, like if you want to become a big company or you want to have 10 guys, 20 guys, 30 guys uh, or girls, um, it's important then because, you know, like once your your paint purchases are like $300,000 a year, um, when your labor is a million dollars a year, like that's when all that shit starts adding up like crazy. And so if you're planning on doing that, you really need to get systems dialed in. If you're planning on staying small forever, like, doesn't matter that much, you know?
1: I, 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 you know, I have a system for everything and not only do I have a system for everything, but I've have multiple systems for anything with this one where it was different was, you know, we got a, a completely, you know, raw house. Like the only thing that was pre-primed in this house was the flat trim package in the doors, so um the walls are just raw shiplap and i'm not talking you know this is all like fucking framing type lumber dude like the the amount of money that they spent on this wood is fucking mind-boggling you know just like the the exterior fucking car siding dude it's it's fucking four inches you know or it's two inches thick dude you know and like the uh the the wood, the wall material, like it's at least fucking an inch thick, you know? That's fucking insane. And all this shit's shrinking out, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so what once it turned from, oh hey, we we changed our minds. We're putting more wood in here, you know? Um, it was, I want to whitewash it. And then it turned from, well, can can you do a whitewash but make it gray? You know? <laughs> and it's like no, you can't do that. So I'm sitting there doing like, drawdowns and shit. And I'm making samples to try and figure out how I can, um, you know, do a whitewash and then and give it a gray tone and everything that I fucked with, you know, there was no, there, there was no method that I could come up with that didn't involve pretty much doing it by hand. I couldn't come up with like a, a production process. So I decided that I was going to, um, you know, I came up with a look that she liked. I tried to submit, you know, multiple production processes, but she ended up like choosing the hand done ones, you know? Yeah. So I, we ended up having to pre pre sand all this shit. Like the, the carpenters didn't sand any fucking thing. So then I had to pre sand all the walls and then whitewash them, sand them fucking antique them with a fucking stain and like grain pull them as the stains tacking and stuff in order to get the look she wanted. Sand them again, clear coat them, sand them, clear coat them. And then, you know, fucking, uh, then encapsulate all of that shit. And with the way the trim package broke to the walls, like there's no way to cock it. There's no way to mask it. And what am I, if I slide tape behind the door jams, Is it going to do damage to everything that I just did? So I'm like, fuck, like, how are we going to combat this? So I ended up having to tape the edges of the door jams and the base and shit. And then we're going to have to just pull it and come back and brush all that shit in by hand. And I, you know, I thought about it too. Like, well, if I was to have a production method and do all that, like, what would I have done? Maybe shoot the trim. You think, well, hey, you could have shot the trim package first, then bag off the trim package and then do your production process on the walls, right? But then you would have to slide masking behind that trim package in order to protect the walls. You know, it's like a yeah. pre-masking. Right. What if you fuck up and you get paint on the walls and yeah. you have a line like you know, it's just a fucking nightmare, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So once the trim package is done, then then we have to protect that shit and then uh you know, uh, finish encapsulating the walls to sh- do the ceilings, and we have to shellac, do two coats of shellac, sand between coats, do two coats of finish on the ceilings, yada yada, and it's just a fucking nightmare, dude. I'm, and then the cabinets, you know, the not only was the uh, fine paints process a nightmare, um, just because the shit never dries which we're gonna have to do a podcast on that. I know yeah. you're working over are You almost done doing your, your, no. your product I mean, test and I, stuff.
0: So where I'm at right now, I started this on, uh, six days ago. Today would be day six. Um, so I did, I think I've got like seven or eight samples that I'm working on seven or eight doors, you know, I have, I have doors that I ordered a while back. They're just sitting in the shop for other samples. And so um, I've got seven or eight of them. And so six days ago, I put primer on one side on everything. Um, and then on some of the door on two or three of the doors, I'm, I'm doing one day dry time between everything, you know? So it's like uh, spray, the back sides primer one day, dry time, flip them, spray the front sides, primer one day, dry time. Um, and then finish coat one, one day dry time, finish coat two, one day dry time, flip them, finish one, one day flip, uh, finish two, one day. So uh, that we'll get into it deep, but, and I posted some pictures, yeah. you know, just to mess around with you, but, um, like I can get the finish to look nice probably on anything, right? Like to make it, uh, uh photograph well.
1: I could make property solutions look like the yeah. diamond, but right. it doesn't mean that it's not in a fucking goat's ass, right. you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's like this stuff right now. The point I'm at with it is like, there's no way in hell I could do a 24 hour dry time between coats on this and like have it work. It's way too soft. You know, like there's not, I don't know. Would we'll
1: just wait a week later, two weeks later. Well, and that's the different. thing, right? That,
0: so some of the samples I have, we're going to give it, uh a week yeah. two weeks do sanding tests on them so we're still a couple weeks out so i can get like a full spectrum of maybe like two or three week period uh, between primer coat
1: there's multiple multiple things to test with that too it's not only hey how much damage are your racks going to do to it after you flip right it's also um Hey, is it going to sand anybody, any better after two weeks? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I sit there and I fight with myself, the shit that I've let dry for two weeks, which is fucking ridiculous by yeah. the way. You <laughs> yeah. should, you should never have to fucking be forced to do that. Yeah. But the shit that I have let set for two weeks, it still doesn't fucking powder. Yeah. You know, it yeah. still gets damaged on the fucking racks.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious to see, cause we know some guys that are, that use this product and they love it.
1: Yeah. You know, and it yeah. stands
0: well for them. So I'm curious to see if um it's just the I, I think of it's tint. the color, dude. Yeah. yeah. Is it just I the think it's the tint? fact
1: that my my assessment is that it, it is it is the fact that the product's missing the drying agents and it's the color. So it's essentially how much tint is in it. Yeah. And you know.
0: Yeah, and I think ultimately I'll do I'll do samples with uh, just a white primer, no tint you know, and, and at least vent that out. Um, cause I don't want to give like just a one-sided, uh, opinion on it, but I'll definitely give an well, opinion on this it, color. It is
1: one-sided though, because FPE is not like, Hey, you guys, right. um, you know, this product they're, they're like, this product is viable for cabinets. It's amazing. Blah, yeah. blah, fucking blah. They're not like, Hey guy, don't use this color in it. Right. No, they don't tell you that shit. They just want to make that fucking outrageous sell.
0: Yeah. All right. But yeah, that's, we're going to get deep in that. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. That, that.
1: Th- this is getting us off track. But so <laughs> anyway, to my current fuck up. Yeah. So yeah. It, so I've explained my current job a little bit, but you know, like I said, I don't track numbers like you do. Uh, I've been in business for about three years. You know, I've been in the field for about 27. Um, and my biggest deal, you know, going all the way through with my background was just always winning. You know what I mean? And every once in a while you fucking lose or whatever, but you know, my deal was just always fucking winning, you know, always seeking advancement and shit like that and always trying to impress. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're running large companies and large jobs, like, you know, I didn't want to, be low guy on the totem pole. So I don't know what it was that always fucking drove me, but I take a lot of that mentality into being in business for myself, you know, but the, the biggest difference is, you know, I don't want to fuck with new construction anymore unless it pays well. So my focus is quality and getting it up, you know, as quick as we can. But, uh, having said that, like I am in a unique situation with this job. I've never technically, lost lost you know Mm -hmm. until now
0: yeah
1: um but yeah dude it's fucked um
0: what do you you think you're in the hole on this project right now
1: dude i you know like i said i don't track numbers the way that you do so i the the best that i can look at it is like hey i gotta draw from this job i gotta draw from that job and the reason you know i i got like a $16,000 $16,000 draw for one job. But the reason I did it was in advance of the, uh, the price increases coming up, you know? So, uh, I was just trying to save money on materials cause it was a large order, you know, like a hundred gallons of fucking duration and, a you know, like 80 gallons of, um, you know, a 100, uh, fast dry Alkyd primer. Um, so I think I, I i got that materials draw and then I added a few grand to it, so I pulled a few grand out of that to throw into the business account and then i um oh, I did a weekend job um it was like four grand um you know I did it on a Saturday and a Sunday,
0: so are we talking like a couple hundred bucks five hundred bucks under on this one? one thousand no bucks. dude
1: <laughs> so i i'm I'm like I'm like, I've dumped $7,000 of <laughs> my own money into it. And then I finally had to leave. I like, dude, I can't, because not only is, you know, sitting there like being, um, I don't know what, what you would think. Like, uh, maybe I might be what can only be described as like maybe being two months beyond what I would have projected. <laughs> right. When I bid this job, it was like, uh, I knew. You know, I, you know, a re- so it was a rebid. I had to rebid the fucking job. So that kind of fucked me up. But when I, when I was looking at the numbers, I was like, you know, or talking to the customers as well as like, you know, I really don't know how to price this. It really needs to be an hourly job. So, um, they're super nice people and shit. And, um, I was just trying to be, I was just trying to give them a, a set price. You know, I didn't want them to right. feel like we're on the job. just Just loading fucking hours on there. And it, and it fucking, I think it probably would have looked like that too. You know, like being, like I said, what can only be described as like a month fucking behind month and a half behind, maybe, maybe even fucking two months. Um,
0: And there's a, there's a lesson in there too, right? Like one part of this question is what'd you take away from it? Um, Sometimes it's tough to, Look at that, and give them like an accurate number because you're you're like you guys aren't slow. You don't waste time. And if you looked at what you actually would have had to charge, it's like, damn. Like I gotta tell them it's gonna be a hundred and ten thousand dollars to do this project. You know, instead yeah, that, of sixty or seventy or whatever. Like, yeah. Big and and
1: <laughs> I'm already huge on like when I when I repriced it, I repriced it at like fucking fourteen dollars a square foot, dude. And then. I start, you know, the, I talked to the builder and the the way I got stuck with the cabinets is he told me that, uh, hey, you're doing the cabinets. My cat, uh, my, my cabinet painter can't do them because he had open heart surgery. So I'm like, fuck, dude, you know, and then they came and they stuck all the cabinets on the fucking walls on my finished walls. And some of them weren't finished. So I had to finish my walls up to them and then, you know, protect my walls and the cabinets. And like I said, that was no small feat because you have a groove between, oh. you know, all the ship lap, some of the cabinets and the trim package fits tight to this sh- to the ship lap. Some of it sits off of it. So you're having to run critical masking up tight, some slide behind it. Then you have to put like shit inside the groove. So yeah. overspray doesn't go in the grooves. It's <laughs> a fucking nightmare, dude. And, uh, Well, so I asked the builder like, well, what, what was your fucking, you know, painter going to do the cabinets for and where I fucked, this is where I really fucked this job up was, and he's, he said, well, seven, seven grand. I was like, all right, I guess I'll match his price. And the reason I said that was because I thought in my head, well, $14 a square foot is pretty fucking high. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, if I lose a little on the cabinets, whatever. So. Once the cabinets are installed, I'm like, dude, this is way more fucking cabinets than what they told me, yeah. right? So I went through and and did all my linear foot measure, measurements, and I was like twelve thousand dollars in the fucking in the negative <laughs> on just on the cabinets. So I got I got the homeowners to increase the price on the cabinets, and that was, you know, sure it's my fault or whatever, but it was a miscommunication between. You know, I should have never told. You know, I should have just priced the fucking shit, dude. Yeah. Um. So what my hope was was by increasing the price on the cabinets that that will, you know, finish funding the rest of the project, right? But like I said, I've dumped, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight thousand dollars into this job, as well as I've been paying. I don't know. A fucking month worth of labor on it i i have and then material that i have to keep buying i'm probably twelve thousand dollars upside down you know and we and i could probably have jeremiah there for another fucking month if i if i wanted
0: so at this point like you just got to figure out how to stop the bleeding right like yeah keep prices down on whatever else you got to do um are you gonna recoup? It's a, any a fucking of that money? it's a
1: morale killer too. Oh yeah. And that's another one of those things you you go we're driving two and a half hours a day to go lose fucking money. <laughs> right. And your 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 morale is just dying. That's character.
0: So that yeah. was like this this uh, the Skipco project we had was like fuck, it just kept dragging on and on and on. And I just kept telling all the guys at work on it like, look, in six months it's just gonna be a memory. You know, it's not gonna be affecting our day-to-day at all anymore. It'll just be a memory. Um, there's no other way to get through it.
1: Yeah. What I what I learned from it though, I guess technically, is I will never fucking price, you know, a job like that again and put a set price on it. What I usually do, um, and and this pretty much prices me out of new construction in terms of custom homes, I submit A base price, a base footage price, wall ceilings trim. You know what I mean? That's, uh, you know, ceilings, walls, you're trimming doors. If you got crank out windows, it's fucking extra. You got closet shelving. It's extra. You got accent walls. It's extra. If you're beyond three colors, it's extra, you know, anything beyond wall ceilings trim, it's extra. And that saves my ass in terms of, you know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of extras. Yeah. So, you know, because it, it you know, new residential is not like uh, like commercial production or, you know, heavy commercial industrial maintenance. We don't, we don't technically get finished schedules, you know. Like if you paint a school, dude, everything's going to be laid out right. in front of you on the prints. You can, you know, you get your own copy of prints or you go into the job trailer every morning and it lays everything out for you in fucking black and white. Houses aren't like that. For some reason, residential builders aren't like that, but.
0: Yeah, that is odd that residential builders don't do that. Like we'll get um, um, on our blueprints, um, there'll be a paint schedule, but they don't hold to that. You know, it's like they can change whenever and it doesn't uh, change on blueprints or anything like that. In commercial, that's a change everybody has to sign off on.
1: The biggest thing I took away from this um, is it kind of lined up with a job that I'd been waiting on for months. Um, the current cabin that's the Centurion. Very similar job in the fact that every square inch of the house is wood. So, you know, they wanted like a roundabout number. I told them, you know, hey, this this is a little much for me to put a set price on it, but it's, it's going to be hourly, you know. Um, if you guys don't, you know, trust us or whatever to do it, I mean, that's fine. Like we're productive in what we do, but if you want to go ahead and get different pricing, that's, you know, that's fine by us, but I can't, I can't roll the dice on it. So, um, you know, I, I, when I wrote it up, I gave them a projection of materials and hours. I gave them a projection of set costs, but I said, you know, it would be my hope that we can be under this, but you know, uh, we can very well go over. So, um, everything will be tracked hourly. So that's what I learned from it was don't fucking roll the dice on, on something that you're not 100% dead set on, you know, and the, the thing with running math, you know, like I, I could bid a fucking, you know, a million square foot fucking condo, right? And just by, you know, by crunching numbers, know exactly how much material I'm going to use, um, know exactly how I'm going to come out and all that shit. But, you know, I wasn't, able to take a little 3,500 square foot fucking house and bid it after getting the extras on the cabinets. I'm technically at like $17 a fucking square foot and uh, make money on it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but that's it. So the type of work that you're doing there, you know, you had posted photos and stuff along the way um, of the stain finishes you're doing there, um, the fine paints of Europe stuff. You're talking like high-end finishes, you know I mean? If you bring those finishes to where I live, like I'm charging a shit ton of money for that, you know? Cause it's all custom. It's all like hand done stuff. We charge a lot of money for that, you know, like we, we did garage door this last week for four grand, you know, just a refinish on a garage door.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think though necessarily that that product dictates quality. I mean, I could have done the same thing to this house. Like, with the FPE shit, I could have put property solutions on these fucking cabinets and probably had an easier fucking time in terms of uh, being constricted to my process. And, you know, if the FPE shit has no fucking sense of durability, then what the fuck is the point of $160 per three quarts? But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, uh, I don't think product dictates quality. Like, there's a lot of mid-range products out there that fucking are extremely durable. But, um in terms of you know yes the coatings or whatever like the it's the process that is dictating you know this being a fucking you know higher price job or whatever but it's not necessarily the product
0: yeah all right um let's get off of the bad shit and talk about insanely profitable jobs um what do i have i've got this big project we did a few years ago um I think I talked a little bit with you and Sam about this big lacquer project. Um, family paid all cash for us, like a $130,000 job. And that one was great. Like, um, boy, I probably made like 40 grand on that job, you know, it, was, it took a month. Um, but we got a lot of equipment out of it. You know, I picked up a couple extra sprayers to be spring lacquer all at the same time, some scaffolding, you know, so we got some equipment out of it and then a bunch of cash. Um, it was really awkward on what to do with the cash, you know, cause like for the guys, I could pay some of the guys straight, you know, and they liked it, but the other cash I had to either, you know, save some and stock it away or deposit it in small increments, but that project, so that, that one I treated like in a, in a way. Um, you know, after learning from mistakes on some of these horror job, horror store jobs, we priced it high, you know, it was so much work to be done in this house and the house was huge and it was just finished work everywhere, you know, and like in the, the entry area, uh, the foyer, the ceilings were 20 feet high, 22 feet high, and it's floor to ceiling, uh, wainscoting paneling. They had like dental molding in, uh, a couple of the formal dining rooms, all kinds of stuff everywhere, you know, and just figuring out how you're going to get completely smooth finishes, no breaks at all, on you know, like the the from the entryway to the kitchen. It was just a straight shot, like you get, you know, they had an ocean view at the end. Like it's, a, it was a nice, it was like a fifteen million dollar house in Newport Beach. So nice place. Um. But the the hallway to go from entry to kitchen was like 60 feet, you know, it was like a long hallway and then it's paneling down all, all the walls on all the sides. So my thought going into it is like, I need to have wiggle room. I need to have room to fix mistakes. I need to have room to like, if we spray panels out and it doesn't look great, then we're going to do it again. You know, and I need to have a budget to be able to do that, to make those calls and say, Hey, whatever it takes, that's what we're doing. If we have a little booger on a panel, we're not trying to like, just sand it out and touch up a small little area and see if we can get away with it. No, we're respraying the panel, you know? And, and so that was through the whole house. Um, and so when all said and done, I was like, we are left with a lot of profit, you know? But we did really high-end work there, you know? And we didn't spare any expenses. We didn't cut any corners, but we had the budget for it. Like that, that's one big thing that I've learned over time with me wanting to deliver quality is I got to have a budget for it. And if I have excess money, it's like, all right, we could do whatever we want here.
1: So um, most of, uh, you know, like in terms of huge profits, um, most of that would be a question for the guys that I've ran logistics for and stuff over the years, you know, running jobs, you know, in the millions of dollars and stuff. But, um for myself, um, there's there's not really anything of note, you know what I mean? like I've got uh, got a lot of personal stuff going on, so I got a lot of money going out and I can't really uh, accurately look at my numbers in terms of huge profits, but I know, you know, I know that I've been, you know, inherently profitable. you know, this is really the only job in three years that I've done bad on. and if ever I were to look at, a job that I have done previously for myself. It was never, you know, never in the negative. I was always in the black, but...
0: Yeah. But you have projects like on that structures project, wasn't that like high price and and uh, short turnaround time?
1: Uh, which one? I thought you did oh, like bo- a,
0: a big ceiling project or something like that or covered patio. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, yeah, that was that was like a $8,000 job in like three days. I, I went ahead and I, you know, I, I gave the homeowners like a s you know, I want to say like a several hundred dollar refund on, on uh product project projections. And then like, uh you know, believe it or not, like one of the, you know, the first job I did when I opened up shop was a, a 60 unit hotel I did in 40 days. And then, I did some new apartments when I started hiring guys and like dude uh my only concern was getting money flowing, you know. Um I know that like shitty painters, shitty commercial painters um in production at the time of me having started um were probably in the dollar ninety to two ten range. Um I did I did this apartment for a buck seventy-five. Uh, I had myself and um, Raymond and a new apprentice. Um, I We did the job in less than 30 days and um, I bought a $10,000 boat and still had 10 grand in the bank. So, yeah, I mean, that's
0: not bad.
1: you know, that's not bad, but the only reason I was able to turn a profit like that is just because I have systems in place for shit like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you also know how to drive people, you know, because that's like, so I have some systems in place, but I also need a driver on site. You know, like if if I was on site every day um, or if I wanted to, to like maximize production out of a project, I would need to be on site every day. Like that would be the only way that I could get the most out of all my people on a project is to be there every day, probably working with them increase morale, and then also keeping an eye on, um, like the flow of the project, you know, because a lot of my guys won't, won't be able to like delegate well enough, you know, if you have 10 guys on a project, there have to be really specific directions for each person so that we're not losing a little bit of time every day, you know, you can really maximize time and efficiency, as long as someone is there to drive it. I agree as always please like our youtube page give us five star only reviews on all podcast platforms if you have questions or comments send them over to hello at paintsniffers.com or on instagram at paint underscore sniffers
1: you can also watch the video version of the podcast on the alpha painting youtube page go to playlists and it will be filed under paint sniffer podcast via youtube you can write into qa at paintsniffer.com
0: thank you for listening to paint sniffer podcast